Welcome to the Fantastic Magic Center. I'm Kent Cummins, and I'm going to share the real secrets of magic. The first magician I ever saw was Blackstone. Was he the world's greatest magician? Hmm, I don't know. Uh, Harry Houdini died on October 31st, 1926, and I saw Blackstone uh, in the last week of February 1952. That was probably toward the end of his career because he was performing uh, along with a movie in movie theaters. So first you'd see the movie, then you'd see the magic show, then you'd see the movie, then you'd see the magic show. And nobody called him Blackstone Sr. Back when I saw him, Blackstone Jr. was still a teenager and no interest in magic as far as we know. Uh, that was just what his daddy did. But as I say, it was the last of February, last week in February of 1952, uh, the Majestic Theater in San Antonio. We lived in Del Rio, not too far away, but uh, my mom and dad were both from San Antonio. That's where my grandparents were, and we went there frequently. And Daddy took me to the Majestic Theater downtown in San Antonio to see Blackstone. And the movie was Robert Louis Stevenson's The Treasure of Lost Canyon, color by Technicolor. And the advertising for the show called Blackstone the master magician in the world today which is sort of an odd turn of phrase. It's not exactly world's greatest magician, but Blackstone was certainly one of the preeminent 20th century magicians, the, fir the first half of the 20th century. Interestingly, the tickets were 60 cents for adults and 25 cents for children, so it cost Dad 85 cents for us to get in. I don't remember how much popcorn was, probably a dime, maybe a nickel, I, I, I just don't remember. But back then, when you went to the movie, you could go in any time. People didn't try and get there at the beginning necessarily and stay till the end. You just go whenever you felt like it. And then the movie would end and then it would start again. And when you got back to the part that you had already seen, the common expression was, oh, this is where I came in. And that's when you might leave. But in this case, we went and saw Blackstone's show and then we watched the movie and then we stayed and watched Blackstone's show again. I mean, wow, very, very cool. And let's see, 1952, I must have been nine years old. I had never seen a magician before. I had gotten my Misto Magic set in 1949, so I had started to learn magic and do tricks for my family and friends, but I wasn't any good, and uh, Daddy knew that it would be really cool for me to be able to see a world-famous magician like Blackstone. The first time we watched, he invited kids to come up on stage to uh, put their hands on the birdcage before the birdcage disappeared, and I was too shy. There's no way that I was going to go up on stage. But then we watched the movie, and the second time around, Dad encouraged me, and I did. I ran up the aisle, and I say that I put my hands on the birdcage but that's not really true. There must have been 20 or 30 kids on stage, and I wasn't the first one to get up there. So I put my hand on somebody's hand who had their hand on somebody's hand, who at some level probably had their hand on the birdcage. But I remember Blackstone being wonderful. I felt like that's what a magician is, and I always felt like when I could be like Blackstone, then I'd be a real magician and it never got like 
Blackstone. Uh, even now, uh, getting ready to celebrate my 80th birthday in, in a few months, I don't look like Blackstone. He looked like my grandpa, and uh, I don't, although I am a grandpa. But anyway, loved the show. I particularly liked the uh, Girl Without a Middle. Dad wasn't as impressed with that because it's just a trick box. I remember, of course, he started with the Enchanted Garden, and I just loved all the feather flowers and everything. And here at Fantastic Magic Center, uh, have as many feather flower bouquets and botanias and blooming flowers and everything as, as I could afford and accumulate over the years. And I typically start my show with a bit that I call the Enchanted Garden. Had nothing on what, what Blackstone did, of course, but I do use some feather flowers and still one of my favorite tricks in the whole world is the blooming bouquet. A bouquet of feather flowers, you take some off, pluck some off. And if I remember correctly, Blackstones were feather darts, and so he tossed them into the stage where they stayed upright, except probably one of them never did, and then slowly had it bloom again. And this was a piece that he performed in front of the curtain. Uh, I believe he also performed the Afghan bands in front of the curtain. He had major stage setting changes and so therefore he had to have certain things he did in front of the curtain. I remember his floating light bulb. Now remember this is Blackstone Sr. I remember his floating light bulb, but it wasn't very good, frankly. When he came out in the audience, I could see the thread holding up the light bulb over uh, under his hand. And he didn't do what Blackstone Jr. did in so many shows many years later, which is have it swoop over the audience. And I never had the opportunity to even know if uh, if Daddy, if Blackstone Sr. normally did it that way, and perhaps just the Majestic Theater didn't allow for that kind of, of threading, for that, for that kind of wiring. Uh, it was an old-fashioned movie theater with gilt boxes and special fantastic ceilings full of cherubs and gold and, and plush red velvet. I mean, it was an amazing theater, as I recall. And the show itself was amazing, as I recall. Later, I learned about the levitation of the Princess Karnak, and I was disappointed that he did not perform that at that theater during that time in that show. But he was still absolutely amazing, and I remember when he borrowed a clean white gentleman's handkerchief, which was almost offensive in 1952, talking about because there wouldn't have been any blacks in the theater. That's just, it was a different world back then and in many ways not as good a world. So, oh, and another thing, I remember black, when Blackstone borrowed the handkerchief, he was pretty close to me when he borrowed the handkerchief and he took it and said it wasn't big enough and stretched it to make it bigger. And later my mom, who was a seamstress, said, oh, well, that wasn't amazing. Uh, and she showed me how to do it. and. Even today, as a quick close-up trick in a restaurant, if somebody says, do a trick, I may take the napkin and stretch it to make it bigger. Something which, uh, something which I first saw Blackstone himself do before he performed the wonderful dancing handkerchief, which he did do and which was wonderful. So that was Blackstone back then. He probably couldn't carry everything around like the props for the levitation of the Princess Karnak. I've seen those props I think it was at a Magic Live in Las Vegas, 
and uh, they, w- they would have taken a lot of space, and I don't know how the Majestic Theater was designed if it just wasn't possible to do that in that theater. I know they had balconies and stuff, but I don't think we sat in the balcony. In fact, I'm pretty sure we sat on the main floor because otherwise I wouldn't have so easily been able to run up the aisle to put my hand on the hands that were on the hands that were on the hands that were on the birdcage. So the first magician I'd ever seen, Harry Blackstone Sr. And I didn't really realize it until I think it was 1955. I was in New Orleans. Uh, we, We lived in New Orleans then. We had moved and there were a bunch of junior magicians and we would get together and and meet and one of them asked me one time who's the first magician you ever saw and i thought about it i thought oh it was blackstone and they all went really wow so after we went to the magic show and watched the movie and then watched the magic show again we went to the fun and magic shop and i already had been to the fun and magic shop in previous years and begun to know the proprietor, Louis Berkey, and there are many, many stories there which I will no doubt tell you at some point, though not today. Today we're talking about Blackstone. But Berkey had big, beautiful souvenir programs, and I remember we bought, I don't know if we bought two or if I've gotten some later, but we definitely bought one, and I read every word of it, and that's when I learned about Levitation of the Princess Karnak, because the program had more things listed than what Blackstone was actually able to do uh, in between movies. And the advertising in the San Antonio newspaper said entire week. So I don't know how many shows he did, but a dozen maybe. Wow, maybe more, I don't know. But that would explain why he didn't do some of the bigger illusions. But he certainly did enough. It was enough to continue to inspire me. And what I bought at the Fun and Magic Shop was a single blooming flower. I couldn't afford a blooming bouquet or anything like that. I don't even know if the Fun and Magic Shop had those bigger things. And an atomic lamp, which is the light bulb that lights up in your hand. Again, I couldn't do the floating light bulb, but I could do the, the atomic lamp, the, the magic light bulb. And my first show for an audience, for the public, was later in 1952, so the same year, and it was for my dad's dance recital. Daddy, we lived in Del Rio, and Daddy had a, uh, they called it Teen Town, and he taught dance and tap dance and ballet and tumbling and gymnastics and all kinds of things. And his first big recital was called the Cummins Colossal Circus. And so he had us dressed up as clowns doing tumbling, and I think a trapeze performer was doing adagio, a dance move or a series of moves but he needed somebody to perform in front of the curtain when they changed the set what they call an oleo act i don't know if you're familiar with that term i I don't hear it used anymore but apparently there was a fireproof curtain in front of the velvet curtains of most vaudeville theaters and it frequently had advertising for things like oleo margarine and so people started calling it the oleo the the oleo curtain and so the if you performed in front of that while they were changing things backstage then you were an oleo act if i understand so i was an oleo act for my dad's dance recital i was also in the recital as a clown and tumbler but i know there was a piano player dad told her what music to play i suppose i i have no memory of what music was played or anything 
But I do remember my act. It was my first beautiful assistant. Her name was Lura Lee Hodge. She was younger than me. And let's see, 1952, I was nine years old. And so she was six or seven, maybe. I'm, I'm not sure. But she was just part one, one of Dad's students. And so he had her come out and be my beautiful assistant. And I started with the light bulb. Now, again, I didn't do the floating light bulb, but she either brought me the light bulb or I took it out of my pocket or I brought it on stage with me. I can't remember now, but I screwed it into my hand and made it light up and then I blew it out. And then I put it over her head and had it light up and uh, probably blew it out. So I had this little simple routine with the, the atomic lamp. And then she brought out a basket full of, I guess they were car red carnations probably. Anyway, a basket of, of single uh, stem flowers. And I went out in the audience, or maybe she did, or maybe we both did, and passed out the flowers. And there was one feather stem left over, which I tried to hand to her. And she, she shook her head, no. Like, no, you're not giving me a, a, a little stick that doesn't have a bloom on it. And so I carefully made the bloom appear. So that was as close to Blackstone's blooming bouquet as I could get. But it was my absolute first public performance. So needless to say, memories of Blackstone all of my life. I never got to see Blackstone live again, and I never got to meet him and shake his hand. But eight years after I saw him in San Antonio, I saw him on television. In the Ralph Edwards television show, This Is Your Life, 1960, Harry Blackstone was honored and, wow, my favorite magician. And l later I heard that Blackstone used to carry a Svengali deck in his pocket. For you non-magicians, it's a trick deck of cards. If you're my age, you may have heard of them as uh, TV magic cards. They were actually invented by a magician named Burling Hull. And Burling Hull is a magician who uh, retired in DeLand, Florida, and I had a chance to meet him at his home when uh, our family was traveling through Florida. So I met the guy that invented the TV magic cards. He called it the Svengali deck, and it was based on a very, very, very old principle called the flipbook, but apparently nobody had done that with a deck of cards before that, or at least not that I know of. And it's a very versatile way to show quick, very amazing magic tricks, and I'm told that Blackstone carried one in his pocket for on social occasions. Now, that was Blackstone Sr., but eventually Blackstone Jr. appeared on the scene and became probably America's greatest magician for a while. He, was, he had an amazing show. It was patterned after his dad's show. I never saw him do the levitation the same way either, but he did the Enchanted Garden, and he did the floating light bulb, and he took the floating light bulb into a work of art. It was absolutely amazing and I couldn't see any threads or anything and just about the time we think oh wow that was amazing he swoops his hand and the light bulb floats swoops over the audience right where if you jumped up you could probably touch it but nobody did it was just so amazing and again you couldn't see any threads or anything I mean didn't it have to be done with threads I don't know or care I do know that I'm a puppeteer I've been a puppeteer all my life and even if I would let people see the strings, I couldn't figure out how to string it up so that it would do what Blackstone Jr. made it do. Inevitably, 
that trick would get a standing ovation, whether at a magician's convention or for ordinary people, muggles, uh, in, in a public show. I had the opportunity to see him many times in both situations, and it always got a standing ovation. And you might think, well, that's because it was such a good trick. And the answer to that is no, it's because he was such a good magician. The reason I know that is that I was in Las Vegas one time watching another stage magician. I won't even mention his name. But at one point he said that he had the Blackstone. This is after Blackstone Jr. died. And this magician said he had the family's approval to perform the floating light bulb. Well, when Blackstone Jr. performed the floating light bulb, people gasped and then jumped to their feet to give him a standing ovation when it was done. When this magician performed it, people walked out in the middle of the show. <laughs> it was, it, it's not the trick. It's the magician that puts magic really into it. And I was, I never actually got to meet Blackstone Sr. Even though I was up on stage with him one time, my, uh, my tech director, Chris Walden says, you shared the stage with Blackstone. Well, yeah, <laughs> I did. I was one of the little kids up there. But although I never met Blackstone Sr., which is one of my regrets, I did meet Blackstone Jr. and we got to know each other. We, we, we weren't buddies. We were going different places at different times. But, but I had an opportunity to write a script for him for a TV promo that he did for the Society of Young Magicians. And so I can truthfully say that Blackstone Jr. and I did a project together. I really loved watching him perform. I saw him perform, was it the Super Bowl? He did a halftime show at one of the big football games and it was awful. Everything went wrong. And I felt so sorry for him because I've had a show or two where things go wrong and that's no fun. And this is on national television, but he certainly lived through it. And uh, another thing I liked about Blackstone Jr. was he used magic in marketing all the time. I think I mentioned last time that uh, I write a monthly column for the Linking Ring which is the organ, the, the monthly magazine for the International Brotherhood of Magicians. And that column is called Marketing Magic. And so that's been my specialty throughout my career is using magic with a message. Magic is a way to market things. And I was particularly inspired by Mark Wilson during the Magic Land of Alakazam when he used magic in wonderful ways to promote Kellogg's and what, a, what other sponsors he might have. So. My collection here in the museum has things about Blackstone Jr. that I've never seen in anybody else's collection because they're big cardboard advertising standees and huge posters advertising the various products that Blackstone was advertising. Popcorn, I mean, you name it. Blackstone talked somebody into paying them to, to promote it using magic. So that, that's been really fun. But my favorite story about Blackstone Jr is my daughter is originally Korean. We adopted her when I was stationed over there in the army. We already had a son. We wanted our second child to be a girl and adopting one was a perfect way for us to do that. And Carolyn, um, my daughter, loved performing, <sighs> performing magic is wrong. She loved being the beautiful assistant. Uh, she, was, she loved being part of my show when she was young. And she and I had gone to see Blackstone and after the show, I went up just to shake hands and say hi. And he looked at her and he said, can you all wait for a few minutes while I 
make sure that everybody's getting the stuff packed up correctly? And we said, yeah, sure, we can do that. And so a few minutes later, he comes down and sits on the edge of the stage. And he said, you're from Korea, right? And she says, yes. He said, well, Korea is why I became a magician. And we said, huh? And he said, yeah, you probably know I was a salesman. I was doing other stuff. Uh, I had short hair. I, I had horn rim glasses. I'd, I, I didn't look like a magician. I wasn't a magician. Magic is what my dad did. I never understood exactly what it was that he did, but it certainly isn't anything I wanted to do. But when I was in Korea, I saw a magician, a Korean magician, who was very different and who fooled me. And I thought, oh, that's what being a magician is about. That's what daddy did. And he said to, to us that that was what made the difference. And he started a career as a magician. Sadly, he, we lost him too young when he uh, caught an infection overseas and, and, and passed away. But certainly Blackstone is one of the most amazing names in magic. And I feel so blessed to have seen both of them to perform and to have gotten to know the younger one. And now, at the last conference I went to, I got to meet Gay Blackstone, which is Harry Jr.'s widow. The Blackstone Dynasty, a wonderful part of magic history. And I've got some wonderful pieces here if you get a chance to come to the Fantastic Magic Center. I'm Kent Cummins. Join us next time for more tales from the Fantastic Magic Center. And if you'd like even more information, well, join us on our website, fantasticmagiccenter.com.